The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that changed them forever. Welcome back to our bi-monthly, I mean bi-weekly, I mean weekly <laughs> podcast. Uh, sorry for the the long extended break, guys. We had some issues with our family that had to get taken care of. And you guys know that we always, it's a family first affair. This is something we do on the side. And yeah, so, but now we're back. From and outer space. we do have a big announcement. We have a huge announcement. I'm going to let Gina take over that announcement since it's her announcement. All right. So for all of you that know, we've been hinting at something since like May. And this is it. Um, on December 4th at, I believe it's 9 p.m. Central Time, tune in to Investigation Discovery. There will be an all new episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? And... As part of that show is myself. Um, yep. I did an interview with the uh, crew, and this was several months ago, and discussed a case that we've covered on the Midwest Crime Files in the past. And uh, so, yeah, this will be my TV debut. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I have some pictures that I'm going to post in the Patreon uh, section of... Yeah, I'll post it in Patreon. Yeah. For the behind the scenes kind of look at to what we went through. Now, I am not going to be on it because Chris has a mouth and they don't like mouths on national television because, <laughs> you know, the United States likes to keep everything PG or PG 13 ish. Sure. So we will be, yeah. So, yeah, tune in on December, what, 4th? December 4th, Monday. Um, and you can find the ID Discovery series on uh, HBO Max. Is... It's on Discovery Plus, too. Um, I really like that app, and I would recommend that to you guys. And they're not even endorsing us. Nope. Um, no sponsorships. But Discovery Plus, if you're going to get a streaming service and you really want true crime, uh, they have all of Investigation Discovery. And I want to say a couple other channels, too. Plus, there's... Um, some other like types national, of there's like national geographic like and the stuff discovery like yeah. stuff because it's part of the discovery series so like there's a lot on there and yep. i highly recommend it if you're looking for a way to stream and that is one way you'll be able to see me if you tune in on the fourth yep so as since we're done with the big announcement let's get to the what the people really want a new episode in like a month and a half to what it's been it's been a minute since we've done an episode three weeks that's it yeah it feels like it's been like a month and a half, two months. It no, feels like a normal break for us. I feel so guilty each week that comes and goes and we're not putting out a new episode. I feel bad about that. I just feel like I'm letting our audience down. So I yeah. hate to do that. So yeah, I, I definitely know how many weeks it's been because I beat myself up about it. So let's get to the new episode, Free to Kill Again. So this is number 14 of our serial killer series. and Chris is doing a thing. I'm speaking to my, about myself in the third person now. Yes, you but are. I thought I'm, that, Chris is excited. Chris loves this kind of stuff. The husband <laughs> formerly known as Chris. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm... <laughs> the husband formerly known as Chris. That's going on a shirt, and I'm going to make a symbol, like Prince's symbol. 
That's hilarious. Yes. Thank you for that idea. Well, let's jump in. It is free to kill again, which seems to be a theme in some of these uh, serial killer episodes. So that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, as a society, the way that it's supposed to work is that we are supposed to trust that our judicial system is going to keep known predators off the street to keep the innocent people safe, right? That's what we're supposed to expect. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we pay the taxes for. Right. But what happens when that system fails, which obviously we have seen a ca- several times is... Okay. <laughs> yeah, a gazillion it times. It happens a lot. Not just a couple, not just a few, a gazillion. That's a new number I just invented, gazillion. And this is the story of a man who was arrested put in prison only to be released early and cement his title as a serial killer. This is the story of Joseph Robert Miller. Joseph Robert Miller was born January 15th, 1955 as Joseph Robert Tarzan. He was abandoned though shortly after his birth at an orphanage in Illinois Luckily, though, he did get adopted. He was adopted by a couple from Chicago with the last name Miller. So then he became Joseph Robert Miller. His adoptive parents were pretty strict disciplinarians. And there's a lot of reports that say he was beaten and subjected to other kinds of corporal punishment. Like what kind of corporal, other kind of corporal punishment is like? I don't know. But when I'm looking at that, like what I'm thinking is, and I'm not saying child abuse, you know, is okay or anything like that. But I know a lot of people who were born in the 50s that if they stepped out of line. You got your ass whooped. Right. Like that was, and, and it's those people now that think, oh, society's too soft and we're getting too soft. Like, no, there's ways to discipline a kid without beating the shit out of them. Right. But, I mean, I understand. So I don't really know. There's no documentation of this abuse, so we don't really know, you right. know, if it really existed or was this just, like, something they came up with because mom spanked him. I don't know. Um, but it's said that as a result of his upbringing, he had anger issues from a very early age. And not only did he have anger issues, but he started, like, demonstrating a criminal mentality from a very young age, like five. Um, He started committing petty uh, crimes such as theft. So, you know, maybe probably started like stealing a candy bar and then he got a little more brazen and a little more brazen. Okay, so how, like, you say that it started early. Like, I remember distinctly myself sneaking a candy bar at the checkout line. When my mom was checking out, mm-hmm. you know, and keeping it. So am I a serial criminal? Because I've been caught on multiple times stealing. No, not necessarily. But it is known that he was committing crimes from a pretty early age. Okay. And they started, yeah, as petty crimes. But they followed him into adulthood. And by the time that he was 23 years old, he had been arrested 11 times. His crimes included theft, carjacking and sexual assault and among those he somehow with 11 different arrests was able to negotiate pleas following each of his arrests where he was only serving very short stints in prison and honestly probably 
in a county jail more so than even a prison, probably. Um, because he never served more than six months for any of those crimes. Which is crazy to me. That is nuts. It's crazy. Joseph moved around a little in his early adulthood. He lived in Bloomington and Waukegan and even the state of Virginia for a while. But by the time he was 23, he settled in Skokie, Illinois, and he married his wife, Marsha. He started working as a pizza delivery man, and it seemed that, you know, maybe he was kind of becoming a grown-up and building an adult life as a productive member of society. But everything was not what it seemed. On October 25th, 1977, a 31-year-old known prostitute named Martha Ryan, also known as Martha Kowalski, was reported missing from Chicago. She had last been seen in the company of a young man who drove an orange Chevy Vega. I don't even know what a Vega looks like, but it sounds awful. Orange? Yeah. I'm, well, I'm thinking more. When you say orange, I think like Dukes of Hazard orange for the color, which wouldn't be too bad. But a Vega is a Vega, and that's not no bueno. <laughs> Martha's friends said that she had a date in quotation marks that evening because they were referring to her job as <laughs> it's a prostitute. Kind of like how they get paid in roses, quote unquote. Right. On like Craigslist now. Yeah. Buy me a hundred roses and we'll have a date. Yeah. So she had been wearing blue jeans, brown high heels, and a red jacket lined with a fur collar. Um, which I, I just hate that description because in my head I'm seeing the stereotypical thing you see on TV when they're I'm showing thinking, working uh, girls. I'm thinking Jamie Lee Curtis in Trading Places. Did you ever watch that movie with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy? So. Jamie Lee Curtis wore something exactly like that because it was this quote unquote stereotypical late 70s, early 80s streetwalker yeah. costume. Yeah. So I almost hate that that's the case um, because, you know, she wasn't widely publicized because she was a prostitute because it's an, a, she is a woman of the night and they those don't get any traction and that doesn't that's not a story right. oh hey somebody a, a prostitute died what oh well me? she probably deserved it right. that's what dumbasses say not me right and so like when we do these stories and we've had a lot of these serial killers that have killed prostitutes like because they're so e- like, and it's not because they're easy. It's because it, most of them don't have a family to go back to, you know. Right. So they're when you know the only family they have are the women that they know on the street. So it's easy for them to just kind of go missing without anything really worrying about. Yeah, and it's it's just sad. It's really sad. And she was missing for eight days, and. After eight days, her body was found wrapped in a blanket in the bushes behind a liquor store in Skokie. Joseph Miller was known by the police department, and they instantly suspected him because he drove an orange Vega. Um, Also, he lived just down the road from where the body was found on the same street. He was currently in the county jail serving a 60-day sentence for contributing to the delinquency of a minor. While still investigating Martha's death, though, 
they found another body the next day. The second body was that of 22-year-old known prostitute, Anne Manum. Both women had been strangled and were known prostitutes. The investigators hit the streets to question other prostitutes. One woman claimed that Joseph Miller and his wife, Marcia, frequently hired prostitutes, including herself. She said that she knew one of the victims and that the victim was a frequent customer of the Millers. So they already suspected him and then they hear this. Right. That just seems like they've got more than enough evidence to at least start looking, you know, in that direction. Right. And at this point, they had connected these two murders because of the way they were dumped and that they were both prostitutes. So... They figured whoever did one did the other. Yeah, and they were dumped in pretty much the same location, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. And so... So, yeah, I think that there's probably plenty of uh, reasonable doubt to be like, Hey, Mr. Miller and Mrs. Miller. Right. What, you, what kind of weird stuff are you into? Right, exactly. Um, and so... Joe was arrested and charged with two counts of murder on November 5th, 1977. While he was in custody and under arrest, police obtained a search warrant for his car in his apartment. Like, I want, like, that just makes it kind of weird for me. Like, so they had enough probable cause without looking at anything to be like, yeah, to arrest him. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, they charged him with the murders without first getting a search warrant, like, without searching anything. Yeah. They're going off the hearsay of a prostitute. Not that that's a bad thing, but, you know, you're going off the hearsay of one person. Well, and his car matches the description. <sighs> okay. Yeah. He, I guess. He I had guess. some criminal history. Um, but the thing is, is, you know, once they make an arrest, they make an arrest when they feel like they have enough evidence to charge. But that's not really where the investigation stops because the whole time they're preparing for trial, that investigation continues. Like in the case of our friend, you remember even after they had made an arrest a few days after the murder, they still were doing searches for a long time looking for additional evidence. Right. And so that's basically what they did. But I do think their arrest was maybe a little premature. I agree with that. Inside, police found evidence linking Miller to an armed robbery in Skokie, a kidnapping in Cook County, and an aggravated battery in DuPage County. It's really shitty that they found all of that. Like, not a, like not just one little thing. Like, oh no, we got enough to get you on three other fucking things, dumbass. Right. And so with this evidence, Miller became the prime suspect in several other unsolved murders dating back to the year before 1976 prosecutors told the media that they planned to seek the death penalty against joseph miller joseph miller did not deny his involvement in fact he confessed to the two murders he said he strangled both women when they asked for payment following sex he wrapped them in bed sheets and towels and later disposed of their bodies in places he thought nobody would find them. He said his wife, Marcia, had helped him dispose of the bodies, but he did not implicate her in the murders. She was charged with felonious concealment of a homicide 
And I looked and looked to try to find out what she ended up getting or, you know, if she even was found guilty or did they drop charges? Like I was looking to find some follow up and I could not find anything. So that's what she was charged with. If she ever got convicted or did time, I'm not really sure. During the court proceedings, the judge ruled, though, that the evidence found inside Miller's home and apartment were inadmissible because there were procedural errors on the part of the police during the arrest process. So that, again, makes me wonder, like, did they jump the gun? It, for me, it sounds like, yeah, they did a little bit, you know? Right. Like if, if the judge is being like, whoa, 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 something is, something's not right with the evidence that you guys found then you guys maybe put, like, jump the gun a little bit. Too. Right. I'm not saying that he didn't do it. I mean, hell, he, you know, he I mean, admitted he admitted to, to the murders, but I think a lot of the evidence had to do with, with, the, other. with the other crimes, probably. Um, so they get some of that evidence thrown out, and the prosecutors want to compel Marsha Miller to testify against her husband, but she absolutely refused. Now, here's what I think's weird. So... The running theory is that they picked these prostitutes up together. And then when they were done with these two women, he strangled them and she helped dispose of the bodies. I don't understand why she's not arrested for murder, too. You can't tell me that she didn't know what was going to happen the second time. Right. But she that's why she was charged with the felonious concealment of a homicide, though. I think she should have been charged with murder. Unless she participates in the act of the, the murder, you got to remember, this is before Illinois had the rules where if you're an accessory to the felony murder the felony charge, murder, I get that. But I'm saying that I think that she was directly involved. No, she didn't strangle him, but, but no, but listen, she lured those women there knowing what was going to happen to at least one of them because she could say maybe the first one I didn't know he was going to do that. But then it happened again. But she, they, there was no evidence that said. But it's she, conspiracy. Okay. Well, so, she knew what was going to so, happen okay. and so she maybe, participated. So maybe like a conspiracy to commit murder charge. That's a first degree murder charge. Is it? Yes. I don't think so. Yes. I think conspiracy to commit first degree murder is like a separate charge. It but, can be. But what I'm telling you is. There are people in prison for participating in crimes like this where, no, they weren't the one that hit them, but they helped lure the person there. They helped, you know, plan the crime, and they are charged with first-degree murder. Then hate the player, not the game. Like, then, like blame the Cook County prosecutors for not leveling those charges then. Right. I like, mean, that's how I feel. I just like, don't understand how but, she didn't get charged with him. But it was... I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's because there's no evidence that she did anything to to either one of them. And her husband didn't, like you even said, Josh or Joseph Miller. Joseph Miller. Didn't, you know. Implicate his wife. Right. Thank you for putting the words into my mouth because they were hard. I'm, I don't know what's going on, but I'm having a hard time speaking goods today. That's funny. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just to me, honestly, I feel like she's as guilty as he is. But for whatever reason, she wasn't charged. But okay. So she refuses to testify against her husband. And so they're starting to get 
some fears that they're not going to be able to convict or, you know, something's going to go wrong at trial, that maybe they don't have enough evidence. And so they offer him a plea deal. And on this plea deal, Joseph Miller was convicted of two counts of murder, aggravated battery, kidnapping, and armed robbery. And they took the death penalty and life in prison off the table. In fact, the recommended sentence was 30 years with parole after 15 if eligible. That's so fucking, like, not a fucking charge, like... Not <laughs> so. Not this, a sentence. This man is linked to five different crimes, two of which are murders that he admits and, to. Well, and it's not like it's not like these are like small crimes. Like these are aggravating, like circumstances crimes: kidnapping, aggravated assault, or aggravated battery, armed robbery, like sexual not, assault. Yeah, it's not like this is just oh hey you did some petty theft. And, right. Or, you know, grand larceny or, you know. Something there are like people this. in jail for selling weed. weed longer than this man went to jail for two murders plus a bunch of other and shit. what's fucked up is there's probably people still in jail from before this trial that are still in jail for marijuana charges. Mm-hmm. That's fucked. Like, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's it's, fucked up. It's really messed up. Um, he began serving his sentence at the Illinois River Correctional Center in Canton, Illinois. He participated in sex offender rehabilitation programs, and he was known to be a model prisoner. You know, we hate that word on this show. Well, it's technically two words. Although we hate that phrase on this show. Like, I, and once, like, and I, for the people that are new, I'm going to yell it again. For the people in the back, I'm going to yell it again. There's no, like, okay, it's easy as shit to become a model, per like, a model, model prisoner in fucking jail when you have absolutely nothing else to fucking do. And if you're really a sociopath, you can fool people into thinking you're... Right, which we've proven. I mean, that's how sociopaths operate, like off we've, charisma. We've done this. We've, we've like, countless stories. We've had it where, oh, they got off as a model printer, and then they go and do some fucked up thing again. And, like, I'm so sick and tired. Like, do I, do I believe there are people that do get rehabilitated? Yes. Not nearly as fucking many as the statistics and the way we throw out the words model prisoner. Well, and don't also remember, not only did he admit to killing two women, but he was suspected in many more. So, like, this is not some young kid who participated in an armed robbery and shot somebody when he was 16 and now he's 49 and he's a totally different person. Those kind of murders, maybe yes, they can maybe be rehabilitated. But when you've killed two prostitutes and are suspected of more seriously, right? you think that's someone that's going to be rehabilitated? But anyway, it gets worse. While in prison in the mid-80s, Joseph suffered a severe leg injury to his leg. It caused what was considered a permanent disability, and this confessed murderer began to draw a disability pension from the state of Illinois. So we have a confessed killer that's been charged with murder getting money while in prison. Yep. How the fuck did that happen? My guess is because he hurt his leg in prison custody 
But I'm sorry, that's bullshit. I don't want my taxpayers going to fucking committed so murder. So here's the thing. I'm gonna have a. I'm gonna have a very. Not what you're thinking. Take. I. They should. Just because, like, you don't lose your rights as a citizen. Like, yes, you lose some rights uh, as a citizen. But if I get hurt, like workman's comp kind of shit, I should get paid. And people are like, people are. I can already see where people are gonna equate this to being like whenever we had COVID and everybody was in lockdown and prisoners were getting the stipends mm-hmm. like the year low monthly stipends and shit. Oh, well they shouldn't get those. Well, why shouldn't they? They still have living expenses in prison. They still have like food and shit like that, that they, that they need to buy and stuff like that. Do I feel should it be as much as a normal person? No, not at all. The- should that disability, should that payment go to somebody on the outside that could then put it on the books? Yes. I don't believe that they should be getting anything directly into an account with their name on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. so yeah, do I agree that they should be able to, yeah, kind of, but not in the way that this is going. Like, no, you're yeah. not going to get a thousand dollars a fucking month from me when you're in prison. Cause for 99% of the shit, you're taken care of. You get three right. hots in a cot. Exactly. You know? And free medical care. So. I know. I just, I, 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 I have a problem with it because no, of who I, he is. If this was somebody in for like maybe for a four-year drug charge or something. It's still a I would think differently. But Why? Why would you think Because there's a big difference between drugs and murdering two people. A felony is a felony. No. Sorry, not so. That's why there's class felonies. A felony is a felony. No, class when, X felony when, when, is murder. When, I no shit. I know that. But when you're talking about like this, so are we going to be start? Are we pulling the uh, whole? Uh, God, what's the word I'm thinking of? You know, oh, so you have a lesser felony, so you get more. You get more freedoms. Yes, that's why they have minimum, medium, and. Um, max security no, prisons. No, that's not why. Because <laughs> yes, it is because some people are not as dangerous okay. as others. Okay, so then why are some murderers in a medium and mi- and min uh, security prisons? Because some people are not as dangerous as others. Okay. Even murderers so, okay. so, are not as da- necessarily dangerous as each other. Somebody so, that killed their husband because he was beating them or you know, had postpartum psychosis and and killed their baby, but when they're mentally in their faculties is not a complete psycho or something like that. I'm sorry. There's a big difference between that and Ted Bundy. There is a big difference between that, but you yourself just contradicted yourself. How? Because you said that the higher classes of prisons are for the worst offenders. No, not the higher classes, the higher security. but I just asked, why are some murderers in a minimum security prison while others in are max? And you're like, oh, it's because some are more violent than others. Yeah, that's the reason why. Not A class X felony is a class X felony. A murderer is a murderer. So you can't be like, I'm, I don't know why we got on this, t- this tangent, but I'm going on it. 
a, a maximum. You can't. You can't say though a felony is a felony. I think if you're convicted of this, a violent felony, no, in, and I'm not saying like yes, I get class A, B, C, D, X class felonies. I get all that. But in this, a felony is a felony in the eyes of getting a disability fucking check. I don't know. It rubs Either, me wrong knowing that. Does it rub me wrong? Tax too? money a little bit, yeah. that we pay is going to a convicted murderer. Okay. I have a problem with that. I'm sorry. I, dig- I, I digress. I understand gonna, that they I'm, have. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and argue. Whatever. No more. I mean, I understand that I'm they taking, have human rights. I get it. You realize I'm taking a critical theory thinking class right now, so you're gonna get owned if we go into an actual debate about this. Okay, whatever. Anyway, but I get you. it. <laughs> I mean, I get that they still have rights. I get that, but it bothers me that a serial killer is getting money from the state. Because he walks with a limp. And he's not even allowed to vote because he's a felon. He was hit with two shells. Oh, walk with a limp. What the hell is wrong with you? Oh, my God. (coughs) So, big surprise here. After serving the minimum of his sentence, 15 years, Miller applied for parole. The parole board considered his record as a model prisoner as well as his disability now that's fucked up now i think that part is fucked up so because you get claimed oh uh, oh he did exactly what he was supposed to while in fucking prison mm-hmm. where you can't really i mean yeah there's gangs and you get like there's violent shit that happens in prison i get it but you're using that oh he's old decrepit and a model prisoner. Go fuck yourself. He's not even that old. He's like 38. I, but you know but what you I'm know saying. But you know what I'm saying? But you're right. Like, it's one thing if you're talking about an elderly old man. We're talking about right. a 38-year-old who walks with the limp. What was that one fucker? I'm sorry, but. Oh, God. The one guy that got COVID in prison. The old guy. And ended up dying of COVID in prison. Uh, was that Dale? Yeah. Uh, the Belleville dude? The Dale Belleville Anderson? Dude. Yeah. Like that, I can see letting the old man out because there's issues with him being old and in prison. But well, and if he's not able-bodied, like, but I don't consider walking with a limp not being able-bodied. It's not like he lost his whole leg or no, because G Unit did it, and G Unit is oh, I don't know, it's insane. Um, but they considered those things and they decided that he was no longer a threat to society and he was released on parole in April of 1993. Upon his release, he decided to move to Peoria at the suggestion of a prison chaplain. And this is what's funny. So one of my resources says he actually moved into a nursing home, but most of my other ones describe it more as like a senior living community. So like an assisted care Kind of, kind or of like a... the independent living apartments. But it definitely okay. wasn't like a skilled nursing home. Right. Except Wikipedia says that. But okay. all my other sources say it was more like a like a senior independent living like a kind of place. community kind of thing. Right. Um, and so that's the other thing that I have a problem with. Like, how is somebody that is a convicted murderer allowed to live among such a vulnerable population? Because it's not a population that he was going after. You know Still. what I'm saying? I'm thinking that might have been I the mean, logic. But he that... also had armed robberies and all these other things, too. So maybe that's not who he murdered, but I'm sure he had crimes against. Um, 
I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like know. it because I'm somebody, like, as a nurse, I'm like, oh, it's our job to protect the elderly. And then we move somebody fresh out of prison on parole for murder charges. Right. Like, it I just it. doesn't make sense to me. Nope, I get it. Um, And so he was known, though, to be very friendly and active in activities that they had at the senior living place. Um, he attended church and he went to local nursing homes with other residents to pray for the nursing home patients. He was well liked in the community, but most people didn't know about his past. So again, like he's deeply into this like elderly people. He's like 38 years old. He's hanging out with all these old people like it's just, I don't get it. And I'm sure the old people like it because, oh, hey, it's a young man that can help us out. Right. You know, like, oh, look, Joseph's coming around to do some, cho- like, to help me with my chores today. That's nice of him. Yeah. It just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. And that's exactly what he did, though. He started working as a day laborer to supplement his disability income that the state of Illinois is paying him. So he starts doing odd jobs around elderly elderly people's homes. So again, the convicted murderer that's able to work as a handyman is still collecting permanent disability check from the state. I don't know. I just don't like it. I, I... I just don't like it. And maybe it is legally and technically and really, truly, ethically the right thing, but I don't like it. I'm playing devil's advocate. Yes, people can get supplemental jobs to, like, as long as it's not high strenuous. Like, being a hand, like, like performing odd jobs in an elderly home probably isn't going to be that strenuous of work that's going to be like, oh, no, oh, no, you're going past your disability, you know? Yeah. I get it, but I don't like it. In August of 93, 88-year-old Bernice Fagotti hired Joseph to do some home repairs. Um, A few weeks after she hired him, the newspaper deliverer noticed that she had several newspapers piling up outside her home like she hadn't been home in a couple of weeks. I wonder what happened. So, um... They call the police and the police, they speak with her family, her friends, her neighbors. And basically, nobody knows what happened to her. Her car is gone. They don't know what where she went or what happened. And, you know, they fear the worst, but probably not thinking murder. They're probably thinking, like, did she have a health episode driving and run off the road or something? How he wasn't the first person they started looking at, though. Well, you got to remember, some people didn't know about his past. Um, I know, but there has to be somebody from the like the prison that, like, I'm sure he has a parole officer. Right. You know? Well, they didn't know where she was, though. They couldn't even prove that something bad had happened to her. Like, you know, maybe this was a medical thing. She was 88 years old. I mean, it's possible. And if her car's not there, you know, did she run off the road or something? Right. Um. And so they start working really hard on finding her. And around the same time, the bodies of three women are discovered in a ditch right outside Peoria. The, um, the women had all been murdered and were in various states of decomposition. Okay. So you have an 88-year-old missing and you have three dead younger women. Known prostitutes at this point. 
Like, come Correct. on. Correct. <laughs> like, come on. What the fuck? So they were identified as 34-year-old Marsha Logue, 26-year-old Helen Durance, and 42-year-old Sandra, I'm going to try to pronounce this right, Shineski. I, that's probably not right. Sisnegi? I don't. I don't know. No. Yeah. The C would be silent, so it'd be ses ses. Whatever you said. Yeah. <laughs> Sandra. Yes, we're Sandra. Marcia had been bound and gagged. Her cause of death was determined to be the result of blunt force trauma and multiple stab wounds. The other two victims had been strangled, and of course, all three were well-known prostitutes in the Peoria area. According to witnesses, Marsha Logue was last seen on September 15, 1993. She was getting into a dark maroon car driven by a white man described as approximately 45 years old. Sandra disappeared the exact same day. Helen disappeared a few days prior. A staff member at the Correctional Center in Canton, Illinois, which is quite a ways from Peoria, heard about these murders and this staff member's like, well, that sounds like what Joseph Miller did in Chicago area in Skokie. And so he calls his parole officer and finds out he is, in fact, living in Peoria. Fucking hell. So a prison employee's like, hey, you guys might want to check this dude out because this is his M.O. I wonder if that prison officials save lives probably you know what i'm saying like because like he wasn't on anybody's radar at this point in time and he's only been out of prison five months right five months um and so his parole officer gets involved and um on september 23rd they find bernice fagotti's vehicle in a parking lot near the senior living community where miller resided so now Jesus. they got her vehicle. Right. Joseph was at this point brought in for questioning. He was given permission. Um, he gave permission to the officers to go ahead and search his apartment and his vehicle. And he denied adamantly that he had been involved in anything with the three murders or Bernice Fagotti. Police didn't need his confession, though, this time, because inside Bernice's car, police located a knife with Miller's fingerprints on it. This motherfucker doesn't learn. Oh, it gets worse. When confronted with this, he says, yeah, that was my knife, but I dropped it while driving. I'm not sure how it got in that lady's car. Whatever. I'm so done with some of these stories. (laughs) With this evidence, they secured a search warrant um, and a warrant for his arrest. So he was charged with burglary. Um, Meanwhile, Bernice was still missing. So they can't quite link him to these murders. And they can't quite prove he did anything to Bernice, but he was driving around her car. So they get him for burglary. Continuing with their investigation, police found numerous pieces of evidence linking Miller to the three murders. Police seized women's clothing, blood-stained sheets, a mattress covered with dried blood on it, bloodstains on his bedroom wall, Several strands of human hair and other fibers. This was all collected in his house and his vehicle. Forensic examiners used this evidence collected um, to collect DNA evidence, which positively linked Joseph Miller to the murders of all three women. So on several of these objects, they found not only those women's DNA, but Joseph Miller's on several pieces of evidence. 
I'm glad the forensics team actually did their job the right way this time. Right. In Bernice's vehicle, police also found a rug and another knife in the trunk of the car and dried blood stains on the back seat. A witness and neighbor of Bernice Fagotti identified Joseph Miller as a repairman hired by the elderly women, woman to do house repairs around August 28th. So right around the time she disappeared. A security guard at the senior living community where Miller lived told detectives that he saw Joseph Miller driving the maroon Oldsmobile on many occasions that belonged to Bernice Fagotti. This vehicle matched the description the witness said the victim, one of the victims, was last seen getting into the vehicle matched that description exactly. He said he's seen Joseph driving it on multiple occasions. Joseph had told him it belonged to a friend of his. Um, and at the time, the guard had no idea that it belonged to a missing person or that it had been identified as picking up one of these murdered women. A friend of Miller's also came forward. He said he had been in the vehicle with Miller several different times. And he said he found Fagotti's social security card in the glove box at which point he said Miller told him the car was stolen and he was trying to get rid of it. Peoria prosecutors vowed to seek the death penalty against Joseph Miller but in multiple newspaper ads or articles that I found on this case they were very skeptical and they said yeah Peoria County says they're going to get the death penalty but that's what Cook County said too and then they ended up giving him a slap on the wrist. Um, the defense quickly filed for a change of venue, citing the publicity because this was a convicted murderer who was now out for less than five months and thought to have killed at least three more people. The motion was granted, and so they moved the trial a little south to Springfield. The plethora of evidence against him initially caused Miller to enter a guilty plea, but he changed that later to a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Miller's defense claimed that he suffered multiple personality disorders and disassociative amnesia resulting from childhood abuse. Oh, fuck. Okay. Sure. Why not? I mean, let's go for the hat trick, guys. Right. The jury didn't take long, though, and they convicted Joseph Miller of six counts of first degree murder, two for each victim. And I'm going to tell you what he said when he was, like, either when he was charged or when he was convicted. I'm not sure the timing. But in court, Miller smugly says, quote, it's kind of hard to do the same thing twice, end quote, referring to the two counts for each victim. Jesus Christ. What a fucking smug motherfucker. Like, right? you were right when you wrote that, smugly. Man, that's a fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know. Well. I'll get to my statement. I was going to say, I'm going to say for the end. He was not charged for Bernice Fagotti's murder as her body has never been found to this day. Um, she is presumed to be another murder victim of Joseph Miller, um, but her whereabouts are still a mystery. Uh, basically, I mean, they said the case is closed from a criminal standpoint, but they don't know where her remains are. Um but yeah, I mean, it seems like he killed her and then used her car to go pick up prostitutes to kill. So now that he's guilty, we go to the sentencing phase of the trial and the state presented the aggravating factors. This included that the victims were believed to have been sexually assaulted, 
Miller's history of two other murder convictions and the fact that he was paroled in April of 1993 and just a few months later in late August, early September of the same year, started killing again. The defense presented evidence that Miller was abused, that he suffered from mental illness as a result. Nevertheless, the jury agreed that the mitigating factors did not outweigh those aggravating factors, and they sentenced Joseph Miller to death. Huzzah, but it's fucking Illinois. Right? Joseph Miller was transferred to Menard Correctional Center in Chester, Illinois, to await his punishment on death row. In the early 2000s, former Illinois Governor George Ryan commuted all death sentences to life in prison, including Joseph Miller. You know, I really was hoping that this would be one of the ones that maybe actually got shoved through and done, but oh well. It's just aggravating because when you make a blanket commutation like that, how fair is it to these families? Right. I mean, they got to relive it all again while they get resentenced. Yep. It's just not fair. He was um, then resentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. In 2004, Miller contacted the Cook County prosecutors and claimed responsibility for the murders of 18-year-old Valerie Sloan and 25-year-old Stacy Morrison. Both women had disappeared from Peoria area around 93. So I'm not sure why he called Cook County for Peoria cases, but okay. Maybe he just liked Cook County better. He told the authorities where he buried the bodies, but when they went there, they never were able to find any remains. So a lot of the authorities believe that this was a false confession and Joseph Miller just wanted some attention. Um, But they can't really rule him out in those cases. And both of those murder cases remain unsolved. So I don't know. I think it's a good, decent possibility. I don't know a lot about the victims. Right. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it kind of fits his MO, but we don't like, you don't, there's no bodies found. So they can't do any forensics on it to figure out if they were strangled or stabbed or, you know. Right. So. Joseph Miller is listed in the Illinois Department of Corrections as Joseph P. Miller even though everything I find says Robert. Um, He is currently incarcerated at the Dixon Correctional Center in Dixon, Illinois. He's 68 years old right now. He has no chance of freedom ever, but he was already given a second chance in 93, and this resulted in the murders of at least four more women within five months. That is when we can say... The system has failed. And that's the story of and free like, to kill again. There was part of it when, you know, when he was talking about how they gave him two counts of murder for each of the bodies because of the stabs. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he said, quote, you know, it's kind of hard to do the same crime twice. Right. I thought he was talking about like, oh, yeah, I would never do murder twice. And I'm yeah, like, no, he's just a smug little ass. But yeah, this is definitely one of those system has failed scenarios. It's amazing to me how many of these are in Illinois. Right. Well, and it's like, it wasn't even five months after he got out that he was like killing people again. Right. And I'm sure he killed Bernice Fagotti, even though her body was never found. So his first convictions in 77 were two women he admitted to killing. We believe he killed these three in 93, so that's five, plus Bernice Fagotti, that's six, plus he admitted to two more. I don't know if he actually did them, but that's eight, and they said they suspect him of others. Right. 
So, like, they literally had a serial killer and let him free. Yeah. He was a silly serial, yeah, serial killer before he... Right. He was only time. convicted of two, but I don't think those were the only two. And I still... But I don't have a lot of context, I'll admit that. But I still feel like his wife should have had more... Yeah, now that we've had more time to think about it, she probably should have gotten a murder charge yeah. as well. But, you know, we don't know all the details. We don't know all the context. I can't even tell if she ended up serving any time for the concealment charge. So, I don't know. You know, but... That is our story for this week. Um, I want to remind you guys that you can get all of our resources and pictures at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. If you don't already, like and follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to be a Patreon supporter, head on over to Patreon. Uh, Patreons, you're going to have some special content and a new story here in the next couple of weeks. So you're going to have some goodies coming in your Patreon account. Yep. Um, there'll also be a new coupon code for some uh, merch. And I am going to design a new shirt. Well, the other thing I was going to say, if you remember last year, we picked a Patreon to give a Chris to give a Christmas gift to, which was a hoodie. Yeah. And so this year we will be doing something similar. I'm not sure exactly what the piece of merch is going to be, but um, I'm going to try to figure that out and make sure it's something really cool. And maybe we'll even do like a five days of Christmas or something and right. give away five different merch items to Patreon yep. supporters. And I want you guys to remember that we do have a TikTok page. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's small and small, but... And I hate it, but I'll try I, to get used to it. But, Chris, I, I hate... I'll be, I'll be in charge of the TikTok page. Okay. And you should become, like, you should follow me on it because, you know, on my drive that I had through God's green earth and everything, I was trying to do an Ask Me Anything. But nobody asked me anything, so I couldn't answer anything. <laughs> nobody so loves head me. over there. It's at it's at the Midwest Crime Files on TikTok as well, guys. We love you. I got one more thing. Oh. We have to remind them. Oh, December tune in 4th. December fourth, nine p.m. Central Time on Investigation Discovery. Who the bleep did I marry? It will be a brand new episode that night, and it will feature yours truly. So I'm excited for that TV debut. Um, if you guys do tune in, do do us a favor and take some photos of you wa doing a watch party and, and send them on our Facebook page. Yeah. We would love that. Yep, and we might be able to, I'll probably maybe get some clips, some small snippets to add to the Facebook page or Patreon page too. Yeah. But anyway, guys, that's it for this week. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.